If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by audiobook narrator and host of the Audiobook Speakeasy podcast, Rich Miller. Rich, it's such a joy to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on. So I would love to know more about how you found yourself in this mad world of audiobook narration. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and and how you got uh, first started in uh, narrating audiobooks? No, not at all. Um, It actually goes back quite a ways. Uh, I started in voiceover, uh, geez, over 20 years ago now, Uh, commercial, uh, corporate narration, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And at some point after I'd been doing that for a couple of years, and I should add not very successfully because I didn't really have the business mindset for it, mm. uh, I, I thought, you know, a good thing for practice would be uh, to volunteer for reading for the blind and, and dyslexic, which is now Learning Ally. And uh, so I volunteered there for, I th- it must have been a couple of years. I think I got a hundred hour certificate at some point. Uh, so at, le- at least a year or two, and I also volunteered at a place called Books Aloud in San Jose, California, which had kind of the same same idea, uh, providing mm-hmm. audiobooks for uh, for visually impaired uh, persons, mm-hmm. and um, and so I I started doing it then just on a volunteer basis, and I found that I really enjoyed it, especially Books Aloud, because at the time. Reading for the Blind and Dyslexic was you go in for an hour and you record a certain amount of a book and then somebody else comes in the next hour and records the next part of that book. And so the the listening experience was very disjointed because it just kept going mm. from person to person to person. But Books Aloud was more like modern day audiobooks, and it was you read the entire book one hour at a time whenever you're volunteering. Mm. So I found that I really enjoyed it. I ended up getting out of voiceover because, like I said, I wasn't very good at the business side. Uh, Went back into high tech. We moved here to Tucson about 10 years ago. And after a year, I thought, well, I'm I'm not doing the kind of work that I was doing. Uh, I wonder what I can do. And uh, audiobooks came to mind. Uh, Somebody pointed me to ACX. It was we moved here right after ACX started. And I kind of looked around there and then kind of forgot about it and then came back and started started doing commercial audiobooks. That's fantastic. So did you have like a, an acting background? Did you do acting in like high school or, you know, amateur stuff? Or was it, um, I know you said that you started out doing voiceover um, before. Was it, did, did that come from like a love of performance or was it, was it simply because of the voice? It, it's funny because most of the people that I know in voiceover did come from an acting background. Not everybody, but, but a lot yeah. of people do come from an acting background. I didn't. Uh, but Right before I got into voiceover, I started doing community theater. Somebody was, I was singing in a barbershop chorus at the time, and somebody was looking for a barbershop quartet for um, 
uh, Bye Bye Birdie. They, they weren't looking mm-hmm. for a barbershop quartet. They were looking for a quartet of male voices. And it was fairly close harmony. And so a few of us looked around our chorus room and said, uh, yeah, okay, we'll try it. And we got cast and I I loved it. I had a, <laughs> such a great time. I got into theater that way, kind of, you know, much later in life. I, I don't even remember how old I was, about 40 at the time, I guess. And uh, and I, I loved it. So I started auditioning for more community theater stuff and I continued to enjoy it. And so voiceover coming right after that sort of fell in line with, well, I'm getting into acting. And now that Mm. I learn more about voiceover, I see that it's all about the acting. It's, you know, like 1% what your voice quality is. It's more about the acting. And uh, and I just it seemed like a a good fit that both came roughly at the same time, sort of accidentally. So what was it about audiobooks, do you think, that captured your you know, that captured you as a, as, as a performer. What What is it about the medium of audiobooks that really sort of drew you in and thought, this is something that I really want to take seriously? You know, I I think it's it's funny. A lot of voice actors will say, oh, I could never do an audiobook, you know, just being in the booth for so long. I actually love the long form. I actually, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you can, you can dig so much more into a story. You get to tell an entire story. It's not a 30-second commercial where you have to, you know, give this entire thing in a tiny short period of time you actually get to you know take your time and 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 tell somebody an entire story start to finish and i think that that has really um continued to keep me interested in the medium mm. uh, it's just it's so different from all the other genres i'd love to know because i i try to ask this question as often as i can um because i'm fascinated by this aspect but i'd love to know how you structure a working day are you are you one who likes to stick to like a strict schedule do you like to keep things a little bit flexible could you could you talk us through like a typical day in the life when narrating an audiobook doing voiceover um, and that sort of thing yeah unfortunately i i have uh, one specific aspect of my life that uh, controls a lot of my scheduling when it comes to recording and that is my gut uh it makes so much noise and it keeps me away from the microphone at times when otherwise I would be recording. I've yeah. tried blankets, I've tried pillows, I've tried all kinds of stuff, and it is very, very loud. And so I have to be very careful about the times that I eat and what I mm. eat. And even when I'm really careful, it doesn't always work. So what I do is I block out three hour periods and I hope that I can spend at least an hour in the booth during those periods. So I, I usually schedule like 10 to one and two to five. And it usually ends up being sometime around 1030 or 11 to uh, 12, 1230. Then I have to eat something. Then I have to wait after I eat something. And then I have to, you know, start, try to start and see what happens. Afternoons tend to be a little bit better for whatever reason. And uh, so I usually get a little bit more in in the afternoon. But, you know, the, the metric that you always that I've seen many times online is that people shoot for two finished hours of audio or or raw punched is the mm. way that I put it. Um and that's a great goal, but I have found that if I schedule my books, assuming I'm going to get two hours of raw punched audio uh, per day, I'm going to end up in trouble. And so mm-hmm. what I do is I, I assume I'm going to get one to one and a half hours, and then it usually works out just about right, and sometimes mm-hmm. I, I get done early. 
So every kind of there's no sort of day the same then really. You just sort of sort of got to plan and roll with the punches as it were. No pun exactly. I I spend a lot of downtime when I I'm and I I've learned to not be as frustrated as I used to be. It, it used to be really frustrating. I get kind of angry, you know. But everybody's got something different, you know. With some people, it's kids. Uh, what time they get home from school and they have to wait until the kids go to bed. Other people, it's work hours if they're doing more than one job, more than this job. Mm-hmm. For me, it's my stomach, and and so I've I've learned not to be overly frustrated. I just try to do other things. Sometimes I spend that time prepping when I. You know, I'd rather be recording what I'm currently working on, but if I if I have the time, I'll prep whatever's coming next, or mm. I'll do stuff not related to audiobooks, whatever whatever it is. It's it's mm. definitely a, a little less structured than than would be optimal. <laughs> <laughs> I understand completely. Um, you mentioned prepping there. Now, prepping is actually one of the um, one of the most requested topics that I ask guests about, um, and it seems uh, you know there's so many different ways that narrators like to prep. So many different things that, you know, uh, routines that sort of work for different people. I'd love to know what prepping looks like for you. Could you could you talk us through, you know, your pre-production process? Sure. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm working on a fiction title and fiction to me is at this point for most of the fiction that I've done much easier. Um, and it's basically just pre-reading the book, uh, making a list of the characters who have like more than one line Mm. Uh, putting a few few words by him to remind me this is you know what this person is like, and uh, and that's mostly it. Maybe write down a few words that I might have to look up, but most of what I do is nonfiction, and a lot of it it has a lot of place names in areas mm. that I'm not from. Uh, I I did one recently on um, Lithuania, Poland, uh, Ukraine, and. Uh, another country that I'm, I'm blanking on the fourth area from 1569 to 1999. And it was chock full of words and places that I haven't been. Now I'm lucky because I took Russian in college. And so I'm familiar with Cyrillic. I'm not familiar with Polish. And so there was all, kind of, I think I had a list of about 700 places and, and people's God. names that I had to look up beforehand. So on titles like that, I'm reading pretty carefully for uh, things that I'm going to have to look up, put it down on a spreadsheet, and then I spend, you know, hours looking it up mm-hmm. to make sure that I get get them right. Uh, yeah. e- either way, I will read the book beforehand, uh, get what I need to from it, look up what I need to, and then, you know, hit the mic after that. How much time do you sort of give yourself for prepping? Like how far in advance are you reading that book and gathering, you know, any pronunciations that you may need, et cetera? Not nearly enough sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, usually it'll it'll take me a good couple of days because I uh, my attention span at this point in my life is so low. Um, it'll it'll take me several days to get through a book that I, I should be able to read in five or six hours, but uh, it just takes me days. Uh, and then after that... Uh, I don't really have a good metric for how long it takes to look stuff up, but I have kind of honed the process of first look on this site, then on this site, then on this site, then on this site. And uh, so I've gotten I've gotten faster on that. I think that the most mm. number of hours that I've billed for research has been probably 10 to 12, something like that. Wow. Um, and, and so it, it took at least that long. I tend to, I, I don't keep like a stopwatch on when I'm actually... Um, 
looking stuff up, mm. but I, I keep a good in my head running total. And I figure I've probably underbilled on that a few times, but, yeah. uh, but it, it does take, uh, quite a while. Yeah, I bet. That's mad. 11, <laughs> said 11 hours of research. Yeah. And I know people who've done way more. The, the books tend to be longer, but it's, it's all yeah. the historical stuff or places. Yeah. The places that not just, um, you know, aren't where you are now, but maybe don't even exist anymore. And so you yeah. have to try to find references to them that are credible. And sometimes you'll get three different scholars saying a place name three different ways. And you have to look at it and say, well, what's the most likely, you know, correct pronunciation. So some of mm. them take quite a while. Some, some are real quick, you know, you look them mm -hmm. up and you hear something. It's like, yeah, that's easy. It's exactly what I thought it was, but I just wanted to make sure others, you know, five or 10 minutes on a single item, it, it, it can take time. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, after recording so many non-fictions, do you find yourself retaining lots of random pieces of information or, or does it just, just go as soon as, as soon as the, uh, you know, recording stopped? I definitely retain some. I really wish that I could retain more. I don't know if that's just my brain in general or because of the the work itself. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have to be engaged every moment. And so you're constantly moving from one thought to the next. And so there is a lot. I, I will read a book on a subject. And I'll think, oh, that's great. I'm, I loved learning about that. And I did love learning about it. But so much of it ends up not staying with me. It's it's a little disappointing sometimes, especially for the really, really interesting um, technical stuff. But yeah. I, I do retain a little bit of stuff. And so it's always fun, you know, talking to people over drinks and saying, oh, yeah, I read this book and I found out X. And you yeah. know, I never would have known that. <laughs> yeah. It's when you're having a conversation with somebody and then they'll mention a certain topic and then suddenly it'll bring back all of the, you know, the memories of recording a book that's centered around that. And you think, OK, I can be here for the next hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the audiobook uh, speakeasy. A podcast that um, I absolutely adore, um, hosted uh, the best within our industry and invited them in for a beverage and a chat about audiobooks. Um, now, the Speakeasy closed on the uh, 100th episode um, in a fascinating uh, and fun roundtable episode. I would love to know, how, how did the Speakeasy come about? Was, was, you know, was podcasting always of interest to you? No, not at all. Uh, it, it came about because I was looking for... I was looking for information at the time. I had been doing audiobooks for a few years and uh, commercially for a few years. Yeah. And I was I was looking for any information about the industry and about the people in the industry and I was thinking, well, I you know, I I'd like to work with a coach, but you know, I I don't know the people that well who are giving me personal recommendations. It would be so nice to be able to hear from people directly. And so I started looking for, I was listening to podcasts at the time, but uh, I hadn't thought of, of hosting one. And I was, I started looking for audiobook podcasts and they were all about audiobook reviews. None of them were about the, the craft or yeah. people in the industry. And so I thought, well, I wonder what it would be like to actually create one. So I went to APAC in 2017 for my first time and I met Scott Brick and I had a conversation with him. Nicest guy. I, I mentioned that I was considering doing something like this. And he said, well, here's what I think. And he gave me a couple ideas. And I thought, this is so great. Here's somebody who's at the top of the game, you know, top of the ladder when it comes to audiobooks. And he's just having a having a chat with me. And uh, and I, I took his ideas to heart and I kind of melded them in with the ideas that I already had. And the speakeasy was easy was born. 
Um, and so several months later, after going through the process of figuring out how to set up a podcast, which I'm sure you know is not super easy. It's a lot easier now than it was five <laughs> years ago. But uh, there's there's a lot of little pieces that you have to get working. And uh, I got all that set up and uh, it went from there. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that I was able to do it, that I met all the people that I met. And mostly I'm thrilled when I hear people say, you know, I found my coach because I listened to them on your podcast and I, I loved hearing them talk about what they do. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I love hearing that. I, I can't tell you how many, how even little nuances that I've picked up from listening to that show and, you know, your guests and things, it's been incredibly helpful in my own narration journey. And uh, when I was set, when I was setting up this podcast um, and I was sort of talking to some narrators about it, they said, like the speakeasy, it's like the only way speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. And I, I, like I said, I just, I love it when I find out that people learned something and enjoyed it at the same time. One thing that's so, um, it was such a great idea was combining, you know, the, the beverages and talking about that in with audiobooks, because I guess it, it just sort of put the guests at ease and created that, I don't know, it, it just sort of it allowed, it was like a, a, a barrier that just opened and it allowed for conversation to naturally flow. And I found that it really... Um, it, it just yeah it just allowed people to be natural in themselves and to have like a nice chat before getting into um things about the industry and stuff i just wondered like how intentional was combining that you know the your love of beverages and that and that kind of communal topic i guess it 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 was integral to it because right around that time just before that time i had started getting into kind of you know cocktail culture mm. and amateur mixology and mm. learning about all the different ingredients all the different spirits and so it was it was an interest of mine already then i went to that apac in 2017 and half of that experience was going out for drinks with people afterwards um it was the mixer before apac i know that things are they're doing things slightly different now. Some things are going to be the same. Some things are going to be mm. different. But back then it was the mixer the night before or the social, whatever they called it. Mm. And then it was APAC during the day. And then there was um, some wine at the end of APAC. And then everybody went out afterwards. And I, I still remember one of the best APAC experiences I ever had was um, going out to dinner afterwards with a couple of fellow narrators, uh, Samantha Des and uh, Suzanne Barbetta. Had a, had a great time just talking with people who I knew from online but had never met. Mm. And we just said, well, I'm going to go grab something to eat before we go out for drinks with everybody. And so we we just we had a great time. And and then we went out for drinks with everybody. And at yeah. other Apex, it was the same thing. And everybody's, you know, in a good mood, having a drink, talking about audiobooks. And so it was absolutely integral to um, yeah. what I wanted to do with the show. And putting people at ease was exactly one of the re was one of the reasons that I wanted to do it that way. Mm. Want it to be a very comfortable conversation. You know, you're just sitting around having drinks. Fantastic. It really, really worked. It, it, it really did. You mentioned you mentioned uh, APAC and I was going to ask you about networking um, as, as you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we've kind of done with the COVID thing now and things are opening up, he, sa he says, um, as, as things are opening up and we have APAC coming up, um, obviously, at the end of March in New York. Um, it's... I think especially because a lot of the listeners for this show are UK based, it's a little bit of a, you know, a bit of a hassle sometimes to get over to the States for a lot of things. I just kind of wondered your take on that. Are these events something that really should be in the calendar of uh, of narrators? 
I think that my my own view of it, based on my experience, just one guy, but uh, mm. my own view is it should absolutely be something that you should do more so earlier on in your career than later on. Not that there's mm. any problem going now. I know plenty of people who've been doing this longer than I have who are going to be going to this year's APAC. Mm. But I, I think that... Um, a mistake that I made was not going a couple of years earlier because I had mm. already started recording audiobooks and I thought, oh yeah, this conference, well, I don't know. I absolutely think that early on, it's great. You get to meet other narrators in person. Some of the panels, especially earlier in your career, will give you a lot of great information to think about um, mm. as you're going forward. Um, you know, the, the in-person interaction, you just, you can't minimize that. I think that it's, it's super important. And I think that, you know, it's great later in a career. It's just that I think that it's more important earlier on. Mm. Um, so, so that's, that's my take on APAC. I'm not going to make it this year. I'm, I'm, uh, a little disappointed, but, uh, I've got a wedding to go to in April. I did get COVID for the first time last November. Yeah. Uh, it almost ruined several things uh could have been a, a major disaster and we we um skated by without it being a major disaster but i i can't i'm i'm being even more careful in the next few months than i probably have been for the last 3 years and that was pretty damn careful <laughs> i get that <laughs> i'm uh, i'm looking up to i'm i'm attending apac this year making the trip making the trip to new york and uh, making a little vacation of it seeing the statue of liberty and such um, I, mean, I feel like i would be um wasting an opportunity if i didn't ask you if you had any recommendations for any watering holes around the new york area any particular even you know beverages that you think that would uh, sum up the trip that I should try not that I can think of off the top of my head I I don't remember the names I remember going to a rum bar with Mm. uh Suzanne Barbetta and Carol Monda and my wife and it was fantastic they had more rums available than just about any bar well most I think most bars are really um they really give rum a short shrift and there are some great rums out there that are not the names that you would typically think of. Mm. Um, so there was that one, but I, I don't remember the name. And I know that there's also a, I believe it's a, it's either a scotch bar or a whiskey bar, um, that, that boasts something like, I don't know, 2000 labels, uh, some, something like that. And I have not been there. I was planning on going there in 2020. And of course that was the first one that was canceled. Uh, and I have not been back to New York since, so I, I can't say what the name of that one is or where it is, but uh, I would I would definitely try to try to find that one. Yeah, I'm trying to extend. Like, one of my resolutions was that I was trying to be a little bit more kind of open to new experiences in the, you know including beverages and indeed cuisine. As uh, I'm afraid I'm one of those really boring just lager drinkers. Um, (laughs) well there's nothing wrong with drinking what you like (laughs) but but experimenting is is good i know that up up until geez seven eight years ago uh all whiskeys to me were just referred to as brown liquor and i didn't i didn't touch any of them and i finally decided well you know know, a lot of people drink this stuff and so i tried a few and now i love all different types of whiskey uh and and a lot of that had to do with just learning about it so i applaud yeah. you for uh, for being open to new experiences <laughs> and I, and i think the idea of going to apac and making a vacation out of it is a great idea that's what my wife and i did that my first year 
I got to write off my expenses. We didn't get to write off hers, but, uh, you know, we, we ended up making a week out of the whole thing and it was fantastic. I hadn't been to New York in, I think 20, 25 years at that point. And so, uh, it was, it was a, a really good idea to take the extra time. I've been, uh, I've been trying to connect with, um, as many people as possible, you know, via online spaces. And this brings me to my next question, actually. With, so obviously we have, um, in-person events and there's various conventions and, you know, things going on, um, I want to ask you more about networking online. Have you any sort of go-to places or, you know, are, are you one who who is in, you know, Facebook groups, for example, or Clubhouse or other sites? I, I, the first question is, d- does that appeal to you? Are you, you know, are you is that your kind of thing? And then second of all, is, is there any that you would sort of recommend? So I think that in the world today, you have to be open to online networking because, especially for the past three years, in-person stuff has been so limited. Yeah. Um, so so I think that before COVID, APAC, you know, like I said before, was really pretty essential early on in, in the process and still later as well. Um, but in the meantime, you just, you have to find some way to be connected with people. Mm. I am not a huge fan of social media at this point. I keep trying to get off of, of certain platforms. The one place that I'm still more active is Facebook. So I am in a couple of narrator groups on Facebook. Um, lots of people involved, uh, you know, some good advice, some bad advice. Um, but but you get to know more about who the players are and you'll see references to specific people and find out that, oh, they're with that publisher and that would be a good person to know. So you can follow those people. You can see what they have to say interact with them whenever it's mm-hmm. appropriate. Um, and so I, I do think that it is important to at least be aware of what's out there. I would also say if you're kind of new to the groups, uh, definitely lurk a little bit and find out what the temperature of the room is before you yeah. actually jump into <laughs> stuff. But uh, for me, it's mostly Facebook, a little bit of Twitter. You know, Twitter's going through a lot of growing, well, growing or dying pains. I'm not sure which. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, but it's still for my experience on Twitter, it's not all that much different than it used to be simply because of the people that I follow in the industry. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of new ones that are coming up that I haven't uh, haven't looked into all that much yet. Uh, Post mm. and uh, Mastodon. Um, Club, you mentioned Clubhouse. I do have a Clubhouse <laughs> account. I haven't been on there in quite some time, but I'm actually thinking that I'm going to try to gravitate there a little bit more um, because because they're they're there is live stuff happening there more mm-hmm. so than than on the other platforms like Facebook where it's not live it's semi live sometimes people are right there and you see comments right away but clubhouse is this is happening right now um you can take part or not but here it is and so i really think that that's a a good um a good platform for the kind of stuff that we do and the kind of interactions that we want to have yeah, that's really interesting. I find um, I, I, I'm a, I, I was a latecomer to Clubhouse um, and then I was invited to listen to uh, the Sunday Schmooze uh, with Neil Gardner and Moz Ellis, who are um, you know, fantastic uh, produ- audiobook producers and have been doing it for decades uh, down in London. And uh, every every Sunday about 5 p.m. GMT, uh, they all uh, sort of gather and there's about 100 people who all gather and they just talk about their week and, and you know, the challenges they, they've had and they invite guests to chat about and stuff and, you, and essentially give you a platform to ask any question live in the room and have it answered by people who know what they're talking about. 
and it's uh, that's been yeah really great learning experience for for me and several of the listeners you know i know that i've seen that um the the name of that chat the sunday schmooze uh on clubhouse notifications um the thing is that where you're located that's still pretty early in my day and so i don't don't normally uh, yeah. do something like a clubhouse chat at that time but uh but yeah it's it's great stuff uh, a lot of people are you know offering a lot of a lot of um time and good information yeah. Yeah. So you haven't been persuaded to join TikTok yet? Because I see that a lot of narrators are on they, TikTok. They now. are. I, I have not. And I'm I'm on the communications committee uh for the Professional Audiobook Narrators Association. And yeah. our social we you know, we are responsible for the social media for the organization. Yeah. And um we are trying to get up to speed on TikTok because it is so popular um among narrators and authors. Um I have not I, I i downloaded it i think i may have opened an account i don't even remember it's just one of those things where i know that i'm not going to be up for producing video content i'm just yeah it's just not me and so uh and and they say for social media you need to be authentic and mm -hmm. for me producing video content would just not really be authentic it's not really what i want to do or what i'm interested in yeah. And so um, I don't think that it would work well for me, but it is big in uh, in our world. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I think it's all, it's kind of still got the stigma of um, the app that's just full of dancing and, you know, uh, you know, pop music and, and it doesn't necessarily correlate between what we're trying to do and what, you know, what we're about in this industry. Um, but I think it's like almost like YouTube, but it's going to become a little bit more like that, where it's like there's different pockets of uh, industries and things so it's, yeah I'm, I'm interested to see um where that goes yeah so so am i and and i know a lot of people who love tiktok and who can spend a lot of time just as a consumer not putting mm -hmm. out content but just as a consumer it's like i said it's just not really my yeah, thing yeah. and so so i haven't yet fair enough when um when not in the booth what can we often find you up to well, when it's warm enough, uh, which you would think would be year round here in Tucson, but it's really not. Uh, I'm I'm a cyclist. And so I'll get out early in the morning before it gets to be 120 degrees and uh, and I'll be riding. Uh, but I usually don't really start that until March or April because mm. I'm just a weather weenie when it comes to <laughs> physical activity. I'm sorry if it's below 70. That's just too cold for me to do anything. And I know that there are people in, you know, the huge parts of the world that uh, that are like, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I uh, yeah. I just I it's got to be warm for me. And uh, and so that's that's what I'm doing in the summer months. Um, other than that, you know, yard work around the house. At least I can I can warm up if it's cold out, you know, cutting yeah. limbs off of cutting dead limbs off of trees or whatever. <laughs> so uh, stuff like that. And uh, happy hour mixing cocktails. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. There's um one of the questions um that uh, another popular question that I always um get asked to ask our guests is um because our audience a lot of our audience are up and coming narrators um and they're looking for that opportunity with you know with publishers or get on on a roster um to get them um you know more consistent work. So my question is that once given an opportunity to you know show your skills and show a, a publisher or you know a production company what you're about. Have you got any advice for those up and coming narrators on how to make the best impression possible in order to, you know, get higher their chances of being asked back? I, I'm definitely not an expert in this area, but 
I would say that from my experience and from what I've heard from a lot of other people mm. is the best thing that you can do is be professional. Mm. Don't be desperate. Just be a person. Get out there and be uh, authenticity again. Be authentic. Mm. Um, contact somebody because you're interested in working with them um, because they're a person too. And they have responsibilities and, you know, mm -hmm. be, be aware of the fact that you're not the only person that's contacting them. You know, thousands yeah. of people are, are trying to get work, just be yourself and do good work. And if you do all of that and you're professional, when you contact people, then they'll, they'll remember you. And, um, you know, it might not be, I've heard so many stories from people who contacted somebody or were contacted by somebody or who reached out and they said, Oh, it was nice to meet you. And it was like two years later, they, mm. they got some work from them, even though they hadn't heard anything from them in the meantime, you know, don't inundate people once a week, but every month and a half, two months, three months, whatever works for you, mm. check in, let them know what you're doing and don't get offended if they don't get back to you. They get mm. this from everybody. Just make sure you're doing good work. Uh, put your name out there. Be professional. Be courteous. Be nice. Be friendly. And um, and that's that's the way to go. Another area um, uh, that is uh, raised a lot in our little chat rooms for this show um, is coaching. And I believe, um, if I, please stop me if I'm getting this wrong, but I, I believe on the episode that you had, I think it was your first episode of the Speakeasy with Sean Allen Pratt, um, that you mentioned that you just finished, you just graduated his, um, his coaching uh, course. And I just wondered if you if you could possibly speak to that of like you know your experiences from that course, um, so that others who are interested in taking that course or similar courses um, such as that one, um, you know, do you, would you recommend that people invest in themselves and invest in something like that? Generally speaking, I absolutely recommend that people invest in coaching. Um, mm. With Sean specifically, he was great to be uh, to uh, agree to be my first guest on the podcast. I mean, you know, I hadn't started it yet, and I told him about it, and he. He said, "Yeah, sure, I'd I'd be happy to." And he was he was fantastic to talk to. I had been working with him. I I never actually graduated. I I got towards the end, and then there was a scheduling problem, and then he got busier, and then I got busy, and I think I was like one class shy of, of finishing the whole course. I I believe that it's he's expanded it now, but I'm not I'm not positive. Um, his his coaching method is quite different from a lot of others. He actually has, like you say, a course, mm. and it is it is um directed every single every single session is about something specific hmm. and most coaches well uh, i probably shouldn't say most because i don't have the data to back that up i think it's most it's many coaches simply uh what do you want to work on and then hmm. and then you determine together what the mm. best thing is that you can work on. Or you ask the coach, what do you think I should work on? And they say, well, here, try this. And, oh, that's a good thing to work on. Um, so all coaches are are a little bit different, which was part of the reason I started the Speakeasy was to make sure that people understood different coaches' methods for, for, mm. um, for imparting their wisdom. And um, Sean's was great. I, I thought, for me, for how I learned things, I thought that it was great going through a very um, uh, specific order of the things that he was teaching when it comes to nonfiction. I've also worked with Carol Monda and with other coaches in other areas of voiceover, and everybody's different. 
I've I've thought that my experiences with different coaches have been fantastic, mm. all of them for different reasons. Um, so I think that Sean's is great. I think that there are some people who that might not work the best for them is having coursework. I think that for other people, they would they have no idea how much they will get out of um, doing a, a course like that. So I, I really think mm. it depends on on how you learn best as mm. to what the what the best way to go is. I thought that working with Sean was fantastic. Has making 100 episodes of uh, Speakeasy Show, has it made an impact on how you navigate opportunities and in, in your career? Um, boy, you know, that's that's a, um, an interesting question. I, I think that it has, but there isn't anything that's specific that I can point to. I mm. think that it has been fantastic making connections with people, getting back to the networking thing. Yeah. Um, and... And I, I'm guessing that I probably am doing things differently than I would have if I hadn't done the show, but I'm not sure exactly what that would be. You know, it's yeah. it's a little bit hard because it's been for five years, it's been part of my life and it's just sort of all gone in, in a certain direction. And I'm not sure how things would be would be different exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that being able to make those personal connections is great. And there are ways to do it without hosting a podcast. Uh, it's just it takes a little bit more work to figure out what's going to work best in terms of being professional, being nice, being a person, putting yourself out there. Different people are going to approach that differently. I'd like to, uh, as, as we draw the uh, show to a close, I'd like to just sort of end by simply asking if you had any upcoming uh, projects uh, that you're excited about that, that we can perhaps look forward to. The next nonfiction book that I'm going to be working on is about uh, the voice of America and uh, during the Cold War. Huh. And I find that fascinating. I've I've been fortunate to have narrated quite a few books now about things that have to do either directly or tangentially with Russian history. Mm. And uh, when I was in college, way back in the Dark Ages, I uh, I studied Russian and I fell in love with the whole Russian experience and actually went over there a couple of times to Moscow oh, undergrad. Nice. Oh, it was yeah. it was fantastic. Um, getting to know people directly seeing you know how people lived uh yeah. the good and the bad uh and and i still love the language uh, a lot of people find it kind of harsh i just i love it i find it really lyrical yeah. um and so i've been really fortunate to be able to do that and i'm really looking forward to this book on um how the voice of america was integral to the united states effort during the cold war um, so, so that's, I, I'm looking forward to that a lot. And I'm also right now I'm working on a paranormal sci-fi romance series and, uh, I, I'm looking forward to that too. I, I love the variety. That's, yeah. that's one thing that I will say about this job. Some people specialize in nonfiction. Some people specialize in romance. I love the variety. I I'll, I'll do most different genres and I really, uh, appreciate the fact that I can, I can get into them. Do you find yourself sometimes reading a book that's perhaps in a genre that you wouldn't necessarily read in your own time, but then coming away thinking, I loved that. I would have definitely enjoyed that as a just as a pure consumer rather than, you know, narrating it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, some of the some of the paranormal sci-fi romance stuff I find really, really well written. And and, you know, there's a good story behind it. And that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I don't care if it's a it's a science fiction world or if it's uh, a farm in Montana or if it's, you know, a fantasy kingdom someplace. I mean, 
if it's a good story, if you've got good characters and they're well-written and they care about things and they act accordingly, I'm going to enjoy that. And so some of the stuff, I've been really fortunate. There's only been one or two books years ago where I thought, yeah, boy, I'm glad that's over. Most <laughs> of the stuff that I've done, I've been really, really fortunate. Even if it's not something that I would have picked up on my own, I feel like I'm not sorry that I got to read that. You know, that was that was good stuff. It's a good story. <laughs> We often find um, on this show uh, narrators who've been bitten a little bit by the writer's bug themselves. Is that is that is that on the cards? Do you do you write much? Have you, is you know you've got uh, writing in your in your future? I don't know. Um, I've thought about it many times. When I was a kid, I mean, little kid, I used to love writing little short stories, uh. and uh, and I actually took a creative writing class back uh, after college, and it's always been in the back of my mind. And so hearing about you know, Julia Whalen and Travis Baldry and and a lot of other narrators who have now written books. Um yeah. I can't name name them all, but um it it has it has um spoken to me a little bit. It just hasn't spoken to me enough to actually start doing it. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's an interesting question. Yeah. It's exciting stuff coming up. Um yeah. That just about does it for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of Rich's links to social media and website, and of course, where you can listen to the audio speakeasy, uh, audiobook speakeasy episodes uh, will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, another huge thank you to you, Rich, uh, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.